Good morning. Uh, so good to see your faces and welcome to you uh, that are watching from home. You over there in the parking lot, glad to see your faces. Um, we have pressed pause in our study in the gospel according to Luke in order to help those that are considering following Christ to understand the vision of our faith. See, too often, Christianity has been reduced to something more than, or nothing more than just a political party or just being a better person or just doing religious stuff like going to church or whatever the case may be. And too few people have been exposed to the why we believe what we believe. And in particular, what Christ has to do with all of that. So that's what we want to do. We want to expose you to the vision of the Christian faith. We want you to see the compelling message that drives us to do what it is we do. So as an example of this, for instance, while it is true that my mom taught me to follow Jesus, I don't follow Jesus because my mom followed me, taught, taught me to follow Jesus. In other words, I am not a Christian just because I was raised in a Christian home in the same way that maybe Akbar is a Muslim because he was raised in a Muslim home or Sally is spiritual but not religious because she was raised in an American home. I'm a Christian in part because I believe that Christ is true. That he was the Son of God that atoned for sin and rose on the third day. But the other reason I believe is not only because it's true, but because of the compelling nature of the Christian faith. Compellingness. It's both true and compelling. And so we're exposing the vision of our faith by answering some basic questions about it. So last week, for instance, we asked answer the question, what is it Christians believe about humanity? If you remember last week, what we said was that we, believe, we as Christians believe that human beings are unique, separate from the rest of creation, and that we are created in the image of God. If you remember what that means is, is we as humans are created with the special ability to know God. And then because of that ability, we then have the responsibility to show him to the world, to say what he's like, which explains why when we have rebelled against him, we see so much ramifications as a result of that. So we see uh, we are like the first Adam and Eve that sin, but Jesus, the second and greater Adam, uh, has come to redeem us, to, redop to adopt us in order that we might once again find our way back to Eden into a relationship with God and restored bodies and ultimately on a restored earth. That was last week. But this week we're answering the question, what do Christians believe is in the Bible? What is the Bible? What is the Bible in accordance with what Christians believe about? It? We'll answer it in three ways this morning. First, we will answer, uh, we'll share what the Bible is and how it works. Second, we'll answer in brief why we believe the Bible is reliable. And then thirdly, we'll answer that vision question. We'll answer why we follow the Bible. Not only because the Lord commands us to, but we want to answer even that vision question. So let me pray oh, briefly again, just as we dive in here. Father, we do pray to you that you would guide us in our thinking. I pray especially for those that are considering following Christ. That they would see the compelling glory of Christ. Would be willing to follow him by following his word. We pray it in his name. Amen. So if you're looking for a passage, this is a little abnormal for us at Restoration Church. We're used to following right through scriptures. So uh, if you're looking for a passage to go to for now, there's going to be two that probably will be most beneficial. And that is 2 Peter 1, and eventually we'll get to John 8. So uh, what is the Bible? You're asking that question. 
You've probably heard this before, friend, but most fundamentally, Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God. We get that. We could, I could take you to a number of places in Scripture, but one verse that maybe says that most clearly, it's a verse probably you've heard before, is from a place in the Bible called 2 Timothy 3.16. And there it says that all Scripture, all Bible, is breathed out, spoken, breathed out, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There's one verse that describes the fact that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. That's why we follow it in part. So, friend, I think it's helpful, unbelieving friend, I think it's helpful for you to know that everyone on planet Earth follows a word. Everybody does. Everybody follows some kind of word. All of us either believe or don't believe or love or hate, hope or despair, uh, in things because of the words that we believe, because of the words that we follow. So in other words, Christians are not unique because we're guided by a word. Because everyone is guided by a word in some capacity. You may be guided by the words of some political party or some celebrity, maybe social media, maybe some other religion, or maybe you're guided by your own words or your own thoughts. Or as is increasingly common in our nation, Maybe you're uh, guided by a combination of kind of all of these things as you've kind of created them for yourself, followed your own thoughts, weighed them out for yourself. But the point is, is that everyone is guided by some kind of a word. We all love, hate, hope, or dream because of the set of words that we believe and that we follow. Such that even if you disagree with that assumption that I'm making, you make the point. So we do what we do because of what the words we listen to and follow. And Christians... Follow the Bible because Christians believe the Bible is the word of the God that made us. So as we considered last week, we believe that there is a God and that God has made the world as is evidenced by its design. Where there's a design, there must be a designer. And human beings, as we said, as it relates to the image of God, we were created with the ability we can know him. We can know him through, in particular, through his word. Therefore, just like the computer maybe you're watching this on or maybe the car that you're driving in, everything that is made is made to work by some set of laws, some set of ordered realities. That's how they work, by the designer. So, for instance, your computer, if you're watching this from home, your computer operates by a set, a program or a set of codes such that if those codes get broken, your computer will no longer work. Well, Christians believe, friends, the Bible is the kind of code make it, that God has made in the world so as to work in accordance with its design. You and I, friend, you and I, it's important that you know, you and I are free to disobey his coding, his word. But in doing so, it's important that we understand we cultivate brokenness uh, in our soul. We then reject the design of the designer. So the Bible is God's good word. We live, we as Christians live in accordance with it because it's in keeping with his design. God We're able to know him because we're created in the image of God and we can have that relationship with him. He speaks through his word. I should also mention, he also speaks through creation. He speaks through creation, through its design. But in particular, he speaks to his people in a special way through the Bible. And the Bible is 66 different books written in three different languages on three different continents by some 40 different authors that were everything from kings to fishermen that had at least four narratives in the Bible, 
Everything from narrative to poetry to epistles to apocalyptic literature. And the Bible is written by those 40 authors in those 66 books, in those three different languages, over a span of some 1,500 years. Here's what's amazing about the Bible. Many things, but here's one in particular. And it has one uniting message. One uniting message. And that message is of a king and his kingdom. We've been thinking about that as we've walked through Luke. Jesus Christ is the king. He's constantly talking about his kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible is about, the king primarily and the kingdom that he brings in. And we find life in the king as we become citizens of his kingdom. So last week I mentioned the kind of four epics, what we call the grand narrative of Scripture in the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Uh, But we could also look at the Bible and see that it's broken up into two testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament documents the Old Covenant. The New Testament documents the New Covenant. That's the covenant that we're in now. So uh, the Old Testament is written to uh, talk about this relationship, this special relationship that God had with Israel. That makes up more than half the Bible. And in that part of the story, we get a great deal of promises made about that coming king in the kingdom. That's Old Testament is talking a lot about the promises made uh, to the, about the king and the coming kingdom. And in the second half of the Bible, we get the new covenant uh, where we learn about the, how the promises have been kept. Promises kept in the coming of that king and the coming in of that kingdom. And so for all of those that repent of their sins and follow Jesus, they are born again. They become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the New Testament goes on to explain what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven while still on earth. So just to kind of review there, we've said the Bible is the word of God. We've talked about what the Bible is about. But you may be asking now, uh, well, how is the Bible God's word since it's written by man? I'd love to ask my beloved brothers and sisters if they could answer that question. How would you answer that question, Christian? How is it God's word since it's written by man? When I interact with non-Christians, which I do quite commonly, they often bring up this objection. This is one of the most common objections. How's the Bible the word of God if it's written by man? Isn't it just man's word about God, not God's word about man? Well, let me show you how the Bible can be God's word and yet be written by man. We're going to look at that from a passage in the Bible called 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. That's who it's named after. He's the one that wrote this letter. 2 Peter references the fact that he wrote another letter just before this. The big number is the chapter. That's the one. And 16 to 21, the smaller number, those are the verses. All those are, friends, those are just almost like an address on a street just helps us find the place in the Bible. So this is Peter uh, writing to us about how the Bible works in particular. Here we find this apostle of Jesus. He tells us how it works. Take a look. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. He says at the beginning, For we, that's him and the other apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, Peter, when he, Peter writes this, he is already aware that p- some people are going to think that they just made this whole thing up, just made Christianity up. He's already aware of that. And he says, listen, we didn't make this stuff up. And you should be saying, non-believing friend, like, well, how do we know that he didn't make it up? Well, look what comes next. But, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of Jesus' majesty. 
For when he, Jesus, received honors, what he's going to do now, friend, is he's going to talk about an experience of when he saw the glory of Christ. Uh, For when he received, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Stop there for a second. Peter here is referencing an important event in the life of Christ. Uh, It's what we Christians call the Mount of Transfiguration. He calls it here the Holy Mountain. And there on that mountain, we saw that Peter, James, and John, three apostles, they saw with their eyes the glory of Christ. His flesh is kind of peeled back and they see the radiant glory of Christ. And they not only saw something, they also heard words from God the Father that said, this is my beloved Son, of whom I have pleasure, of whom I am pleased. So these apostles, they both saw the glory of Christ and then they heard the glory of Christ. In that sense, they were eyewitnesses. And this is important. Not only was Peter an eyewitness, but he references the we there. So were those other two guys, uh, James and John. And this, friend, is, this is so important. This is what sets Christians apart from other people like Mormons and Muslims who both claim to have a special word from God. The word that we believe is here was done out in public. It wasn't done in some private sense from one guy getting a private word from God and then mysteriously those things, those words got lost. No, that's not the case. These, as Christians, these events happened in public. Here Peter says, God spoke, God revealed, and there was a few of us that saw it all happen. We didn't make it up. You might say, well, listen, those three guys could have made it up. That's fair. But friend, this is one of the many reasons why the resurrection is so important. The resurrection, both the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, those also happened out in public. It was not hidden from the sight of the world. Jesus, has said, was, uh, was actually resurrected and appeared to hundreds of people. And those hundreds of people were alive at the time of the writing of these words of the Bible that testified to his resurrection. But I digress here a little bit. So Peter is saying here in the text, We did not make the word of God up. The words we preach, we saw, we heard. We were eyewitnesses. He gives an example of the greatest moment, save the resurrection, that would make his point. We saw the transfiguration. We saw the holy mountain. But then watch what he says next. Look at verse 19. He goes on to say, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. If 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 you're underlining... I like to underline my Bible. That's a place to underline. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Did you catch what Peter said there? You catch it. He says that the prophetic word that he, Peter, spoke to them and speaks again now in this letter, he says, is more fully confirmed than being at the transfiguration. Now, that's amazing. That's an amazing claim. We tend to think if we would be there, we believe. But Paul, Peter said, no, you're in a better position now. He's saying that the apostles' words, their interpretation of those events are more fully confirmed than actually being there to make, uh, to see it all go down. So the words of the apostles, Jesus' original followers that he commissioned, who either they were the ones that either wrote the New Testament or their, their disciples wrote the New Testament. That's all 27 books. 
Those words in the New Testament are more fully confirmed than actually being there to see it all go down. And you might ask why? Well, because the apostles, having been, con- have, having been commissioned by Christ to understand what those events mean, they wrote down what the events mean. If you were just there, you wouldn't know exactly what it all means. But by the apostles writing it down, it helps you understand what it means. The authoritative inter- understanding of the Bible. But then look what comes next. We've not yet answered the question, how is it God's word if man wrote it? That's what Peter addresses next. Look at verse 20. How is the Bible written by man, God's word to man? Here we go. Verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's Bible, nothing in the Bible, comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, 2 Peter 1 or Mark or Luke or John or Isaiah, whatever. That is not their own interpretation of the events. It's not just them going, here's what I think it means. That's what he's saying there. It's not their interpretation. He goes on, verse 21, for or because no prophecy, no Bible, was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, Nathan didn't wake up one day after having a bad glass of orange juice the night before and just sort of decided to write, and there it is, made it in the Bible. He's, no, no, no. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It wasn't their idea. But here comes our answer. He says, men spoke from God. How? As they were carried along in the writing by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit working inside of the author, the apostle, or the disciple of the apostle to write down the authoritative words. So to review there, threw a lot at you. Peter said the Bible is more fully confirmed than being at the events since the Bible interprets the events and tells us what they mean. Secondly, he says the Bible is not someone's own interpretation. It's not man's interpretation. But instead, thirdly, men spoke from God as the Spirit in them carried them along. In other words, the apostles believed that the books of the Bible were written by men as the Spirit of God in them was working to bring the authority of the Word to His people. And I'll give you one example of how that works from Jesus himself. Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 43, Jesus says there, how is it then that David, right, David's the author, Jesus is saying, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, and then he quotes Psalm 110.1. So Jesus just said the same thing Peter did. David wrote spirit in him, and then he quotes Bible. Now there's lots more that we could say about this, but we need to get on to those other two points. Christians, we see, just to review, believe the Bible is the word of God. We we submit, we're guided by the word of God because it's our authority so as to order us in the world that he has made. Everybody lives by a word. This is the word that we believe that all of mankind should live by because it's given to us by God who worked by his spirit through his human authors to interpret the events to tell us how to live. And none of those interpretations of the biblical authors were guesses or just interpretations of men, but they were from God. Now you might be saying, friend, you might be saying, okay, I'll give you that, Nathan. But is this thing reliable? Like this Bible right here, is this reliable? Isn't it been corrupted over the course of years? Let's move to that question. Is the Bible reliable as the Word of God? Now, I could spend the next week answering that question, uh, much less the next, like, four to five minutes. 
Uh, and so here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm not going to try to convince you. I just want you to see that it's at least reasonable to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's at least reasonable to believe that. I'm going to give you three. I could give you probably 12. I'm going to give you three reasons why. This Bible is the Word of God. Not just a Bible, but the Word in my hands right here. For first reason, it is true that we as Christians, we do not have the original manuscripts that the authors wrote those texts down on. We don't have them. However, we do have thousands of manuscripts from antiquity, some even within the same generation of the biblical authors themselves. So as a comparison, the gap between the earliest testimonies of, say, Caesar's wars date 1,000 years after the event. And even then, we only have 46 manuscripts. But in the Bible, we have thousands of manuscripts, uh, and some within the same generation, others within one or 200 years and following. But friend, even if we didn't have those manuscripts, we'd still be able to check the reliability of the scriptures by reading the books of the Christians that were reflecting on those scriptures. There are some 86,000 biblical citations from Christians that cite different parts of the Bible in their writings. So to illustrate this point, imagine, guys, that we, we went down and we, we saw in the National Archives that the Bill of Rights had been taken. Someone took it and they burned it up, and we lost it. Between the early copies of, in the, say, the 1800s, to the, uh, maybe the lawyer citations of the Bill of Rights, to even maybe the classroom and how they use the evidence of the Bill of Rights, we could take all of that material and easily piece back the Bill of Rights quite easily and be very confident that we lost nothing. In other words, friends, another way of saying this is the telephone game, which is often used to kind of take down the Scripture, that idea simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. We're able to corroborate the teaching of Scriptures. And it's also important to note, friend, the manuscripts, we as Christians don't believe the manuscripts were, were inspired. We believe the words were inspired. And we've, not, we've lost none of the words. They're all here. So if God is big enough to to make the world, to sustain the world. We believe that he's big enough to make God's word, to make a Bible, and to sustain that word to us today. Second reason why we can trust that the Bible is the trustworthy word of God is the external evidence of the Bible that corroborates with the events of the Bible. The external evidence that corroborates with the, the events of the Bible. So while it is true, it is definitely true, I don't want to sit up here and act like everything is clean and crystal, but while it's true that there are some matters of debate, overwhelming overwhelmingly archaeology has proven the events of the bible are in fact quite reliable when you read the bible you'll see that the authors there go out of their way to make clear when and where things happen as i've said christianity is historically verifiable we are happy to put this book out in front of the public and say investigate it because the authors are writing this happened at this time in this place with these people that sort of thing it goes out of its way to be historically verifiable. And we find that history does corroborate with it. Uh, and both, I, I should add that both believers and non-believers of the Bible will overwhelmingly believe, uh, agree with the accuracy of the events of history. Here's a quote about one period of history from a guy that is well known for his not being a Christian. Here's what he says about one event. He says, despite this enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus was a Jewish man known to be a preacher and teacher 
who was crucified, a Roman form of execution, in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman Emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. He says that virtually all, this is a non-Christian saying this, all scholars believe. There's an instance, an example of how external reality accords with what we see in the Bible. But then here's a third reason why we can trust the Bible as God's word to us. The third reason is because of the internal evidence. The internal evidence. This, don't lose sight of this. If you've tuned out, tune back in for a second. Our faith in the Bible is not primarily because of our trust in archaeologists. It's not because of our uh, trust in the amount of manuscript evidence we have. No, we trust the Bible because of the internal witness of the Bible itself. First off, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. I read that earlier from 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible claims for itself that it is the Word of God. Time and again, we read, thus says the Lord. Time and again, we read, this is the word of the Lord. Or we hear when Jesus shows up and saying, instead of saying, thus says the Lord, Jesus shows up and says, truly, truly, I say to you. So it claims for itself. But secondly, also we see the authority of Scripture uh, come from the internal witness of promises made and promises kept. We talked about that earlier, promises made, promises kept, sometimes called prophecy. Uh, how the Bible is able to predict things hundreds of years in, in advance with great specificity. I'll give you one example. For instance, the Bible predicts hundreds of years in advance that the Messiah would be born of the line of Abraham, of the line of David, in the tribe of Judah, in the city of Bethlehem, not a big town. Uh, he would eventually come out of Egypt. He would eventually be handed over by his own people where he would be crucified and resurrected. All of those things are predicted in Scripture hundreds of years before they happen. I could give you one more example. The prophet Daniel predicted the rising and falling. Scholars today are befuddled by this. Daniel predicts the rising and falling of the nations of Babylon, eventually to Persia, to Greece, and to Rome. He predicts all of this before it happens. So the accuracy of the prophecy testifies to the trustworthiness of the Bible, that it is of God. But thirdly, the character of the Bible. The character of the Bible testifies to its authority, to its reliability as the Word of God. The internal character of it, from the power that it has to describe the human condition to its answer, to the doctrinal unity. This is amazing. The doctrinal unity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Third, to the harmony of the Old Testament to the New Testament. They're like puzzle pieces that wed themselves together. And again, this is a span over 1,500 years by kings and princes and fishermen just according together, the harmony, all the way down to the compelling beauty of the Bible. The golden rule that everybody sees and believes is right and beautiful. This call, as you heard Joey pray early, to love enemies. The call for justice, all right there, compelling beauty in the Scripture. It's poetry, it's proverbs and the like. So what we've seen is that the Bible is the word of God. We've seen how God uses it to bring it to us. Secondly, we've seen that it's reliable from the manuscript evidence to the external evidence to the internal evidence. Now, thirdly, lastly, let's take a look at that vision. Honestly, this is what I wanted to preach the whole time. I was thinking this week I was rehearsing this sermon. That second point, I'm like, ah. But I know you need to hear that. And so I want you to see this third point. So if you've tuned out, come back in, listen to this third point. Here's the compelling vision of why we follow it. It's not just because God tells us to. It's not just because it's reliable. 
Take a look at John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. This is one reason why we follow the Bible. This is the compelling vision we as Christians believe uh, are so beautiful that we follow it. Here's the vision of why we follow it and what Jesus has to do with that. Here's Jesus' word. These two things come together. Take a listen. John 8, 31, 32. Quote, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth truth will set you free so jesus not only was peter well aware that people are going to think they made this stuff up jesus was also well aware that there would be people that claim to believe in him maybe that was one of your uh, aversions to the christian faith come back next week well we'll talk about that but jesus was well aware there would be people that claim to believe in him but not actually abide in him And here he makes it clear it's not enough just to say you believe he says, you are truly my disciple. You are not a fake when you abide in the word of Christ. Just last week, my wife went to the farmer's market across the street from our apartment. She goes there to that apartment and she brought home these amazing peaches, summer peaches. She brought them home. She washed them. She put them in the refrigerator after they were cooled off, she brought them back out. She cut them up. She gave them to us, and I eat. I ate of that peach, and it was one of the most delicious things I have ever eaten. It was so good. Some of you right now are tasting. So good. Friend, you want to know why that peach was so good? Because it abided in the life-giving elements of the tree. That's why. That peach would not have been uh, free earlier had it unattached itself from the tree. It would not have been free to try to unattach itself from that tree. Nor would it have been free if it said, I'm too constricted by being on a peach tree. I want to break off and, and go abide in a grapevine or in a fig tree. That would not have freed that peach. It was free because it attached itself to the vine of a peach tree. And because it did, it was ripe. It was healthy. It was delicious. Just as that peach was made to be. Designed to be. Friends, Jesus is saying to us that if you are truly his disciple, you'll abide in his word like that peach abided in the tree. Where can you find his word, you ask? Right here in the Bible. This is his word. If you abide in this word, you will truly be his disciple. And then what happens? Here comes the vision. And the truth of that word, as you abide in it, you're tapping into it. That abides, that word will then abide in you. And then Jesus says, what will happen? It will set you free. The opposite of the way most people understand the scriptures. But Jesus says, you abide in my word, it will then give you life. It will free you. Friends, the reason why that peach was so delicious was because it abided in the life-giving aspects of the tree. And because it did, it was free to do as it was designed to do, become a summer delicious juicy peach. The others did not abide. And they were not freed then to be eaten. They died. They fell off the tree because they never abided truly in the tree. 
So non-Christian friends, this is important for you to understand. If you ever find a healthy Christian, not just one that says they believe him, a healthy Christian, one that like Christ loves his or her enemies, one that is full, as the Bible says, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If you ever find one like that, if you ever find a Christian that's full of grace and mercy, friend, you found a peach that is abiding in the vine of the word of Christ. You found someone that is truly human. Truly human. Living as they were intended to by their maker. You found someone that's delicious. You found someone that's free. As they have been constricted to abiding in the words of Christ. That's why we Christians love the Bible. That's why we place it in particular uh, in the center of our life together as a church. It's not just because we, we don't just put the pulpit here just because it's easier for everybody to see. That's part of it. The reason why we put it in the center is because we believe the Bible is the center of our life together. It's what gives us life. It's what gives us freedom, what gives us joy. We need to come underneath it. You don't need to hear from Nathan Knight. Who cares? Nathan Knight will come and he'll die and Nathan Knight's an idiot. But when Nathan Knight submits to the word and properly teaches it, then life can come. And that's why we do what we do. The Bible, friend, is the word of God. It makes us truly human, not beasts. As the Spirit uses it, as we abide in it, we are not enslaved, but we are free to live as God intended us. Are there plenty of things to, uh, to uh, try to understand in the Bible? Sure. Do you have questions? Do we all have questions? My guess is I have more questions about the Bible than you do. I've studied it for 20 plus years. But I believe it. We believe it. And the more we find, I can te testify to you uh, as a pastor of a church, the more I find that we give ourselves to this word, the more that we listen to it, the more that we obey it, the more fruitfulness we find in our life together. So what must you do, friend? What must you do to follow Christ? You need to tap into his word. You need to repent of the ways that you have abided in other words, thinking that those other words, those other things will give you life, will give you freedom. You need to repent of those. You need to confess your sorrow for having followed those words. And then you need to plead for grace, for God to give you freedom to abide in his word. And listen, he says if you do that, then he will. He will forgive you. and He will cause you to be grafted into his tree that you might be that peace and be truly human. Be the thing that God made you to be. Repenting and believing on Christ's death, his atoning blood to satisfy the penalty of your sin, his resurrection, you're believing that, you're trusting that to give you new life. As you read and see that in the scriptures, as you abide in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, abide in the word that testifies to it, he will forgive you and he will free you as you walk in light of his grace. And if you have questions about that, more, please come and talk to me. God would have you to respond by saying, I desire to follow Jesus to other Christians. Come talk to me, email me, uh, email the friend that uh, invited you into this live cast. We want to talk to you about this. We don't want blind belief. We want you to know of whom your master is. And finally, for you, brother and sister in the faith, members of Restoration Church, listen to me, look at me, have Confidence in this word. Believe this word. 
trust this word. You and I are bombarded by words every single day. And we, myself included, I am tempted to follow a thousand words. And sometimes I do follow those words. I got to get up underneath this. We have to get underneath this word. And when we do, like that peach, we tap into it. We will bear fruit. Have confidence in this word. Read this word. But listen, don't just read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Memorize it. Let it give you life. That's going to require time. That's going to require silence. Don't just glance over the words. Think about them throughout the day. Pray them. Speak them to one another. Abide in the word of Christ. And listen, we will be free. We already are free. We will enjoy that freedom all the more, the more that we give ourselves to this word. Have confidence in it. Give yourself to it. May we give ourselves to it. And may you hold we elders accountable as we teach it to you faithfully week after week so that we would know and enjoy the freedom that we have in Jesus. Our life, our joy, our hope, and our great reward. Thanks be to God that he has spoken, that he is a speaking God, and that he gave these words to us. Guys, be thankful if you're a Christian that he gave you eyes to see and ears to hear to submit to this word. Be thankful that he's given you life, that he's freed you. Enjoy his word, meditate on it, and may we do this together in order that we might display the delicious glory of Christ to all the world that needs this word. Let's pray together. Father, we agree that there are words that we follow that are not your words. Thank you for the grace that we read of in this book that testifies to forgiveness, to reconciliation. Thank you for your spirit that guided the authors to say what you wanted them to say. Thank you for the spirit that lives in us so that we can abide in that word. May we give ourselves to it, God, all the more in these strange and perplexing days. May we give ourselves more to the word. May we have confidence in the word. And I pray for those that have not yet trusted Christ and are maybe desiring to now. Oh God, may they abide in the word of Christ. May they repent and believe and come up underneath him and give the whole of their lives to knowing this book that they might then proclaim this book to others. That, they other, that others might become free too. We love you, God. We thank you that you have spoken. We thank you for Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, of whom this book testifies to. We pray in his name.